Amen. Thank you, Hannah. Take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to Genesis chapter number 39. Both the specials and the congregational have really set the stage for what we're looking at this morning in the life of Joseph. We're continuing in our series, Walking with God, studying the life of Joseph in particular. And this morning we come to look at Joseph and God's work. Genesis chapter number 39 is where we will begin. We will go through chapter 39, 40, and 41 today. Brother Phil noted in the early hour when he worked security that it was a short one. Maybe I was losing my voice, and the answer is, we'll see if this one's short or not. I don't know. Phil's in here for this one. I might make it go longer. I'm kidding. Uh, It is good to see that the Iocas. Little baby with you? Good. All right. We are, of the seven being born over this year span, we're three in to babies being born. Four more to go. Uh, Luke is probably playing bongos on mama's belly to get baby boy out. She's next. This week is the due date. Is that right? All right. So we're moving along here. It's a blessing to see the church grow in every way. In the early hour, there was a young couple that joined the church. Joshua and Gretchen Doolittle joined in the early service uh, in the beginnings life stage. So a lot of good things going on here at the church. And it is fitting then that we look at God's work, what God is doing. We're not talking this morning specifically about the church. But the fact that God works in us, God works on us, and then God works through us. And that is the truth in the life of Joseph. We pick up our reading in verse number 21 of Genesis 39 where the Bible says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did, there he was the doer of it. That's an important phrase. He was the doer of it. It's going to be kind of a theme throughout the message this morning. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. The him here is Joseph and that which he, Joseph, did. The Lord made it to prosper. Father, help us this morning as we look into your word and see your work, what you accomplish and what we are to be doing. Sadly, Lord, there's very many Christians in our midst. There's very many Christians in the modern age that are hearers only and not doers of the Word. I'm thankful for Joseph and what he teaches us, that our walk with you is not just a walk in word, but it's a walk in deed. And he did your work every step of the way. Bless us, I pray, as we look at this man once again this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. When you do God's work, you will make a difference in the world. Do you believe that statement? Three of you do. The rest of you are still trying to figure out if that was a rhetorical question or a serious question. Do you believe that if you actually engage in doing God's work, you will make a difference? The problem for most Christians is they don't believe that. What's the point? Who's going to care? Why does it even matter? The work of God will always have a lasting effect. 
We were told several times that Joseph in his life prospered, not because of his intellect, not because of his ability, but because he surrendered to God's working through him. He surrendered to God's word in this series. He surrendered to God's will in this series. He surrendered to God's way of doing things, though they may not have been the way Joseph picked them. He said, if your way, God, is best. All of this led to him being yielded to God's prosperous work being accomplished through his life. God wants to work in us the same way today, just as He has throughout all of man's history. The days, yes, are dark, yet God is not done saving souls. He's not done changing lives into His image, and He's not done directing the hearts of men towards Him. So Joseph's life, like our life, should be marked by the words of Jesus that were spoken 1,700 years after Joseph ever lived. In John chapter 9 and verse 4, he says, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. God has a task for you to do in this world, believer. He has a job for you to do. He has work that he wants to accomplish, and it can only be accomplished by you in the station and position where God has placed you. Joseph understood that. We must come to understand it as well. So I ask to begin here, what is God's work? Well, simply, we could define it this way. It is your or my glorifying God before the eyes of men. I am accomplishing the work of God when men can look at my life, they can see my activity, they can see my thoughts, my attitudes and actions, and they can say, that man, that person loves God and serves God. That is the work of God. Now, it takes on many different forms in all of our various lives as we live those lives out. But that is the summation of the work of God, to glorify Him before the eyes of men. It is us in our thoughts and in our actions reflecting that God is in fact worthy of not only our praising words, but also of our purposeful, intentional works. Thus, our choices matter. Our actions matter. Our thoughts and our attitudes matter. Our responses are always going to be different, in other words, than what our natural flesh wants to respond like. We're going to be different in the way we behave ourselves, the way we conduct ourselves, in the work that we seek to accomplish. What is it that we pursue? In walking with God, Joseph did God's work everywhere he found himself. In many of those places, he would not have asked to be there. In many instances, you find yourself through live circumstances in places that you would never ask to be placed. Yet God has a work for you to accomplish in those circumstances. God expects you to be engaged in his work, just like he expected Joseph to be engaged in his work. As our example, then, Joseph and God's work begins, number one in our notes, with a gracious testimony. A gracious testimony. We never find Joseph curl up in a corner crying. Now, be honest. Sometimes in the way in which God calls you to work or in certain circumstances of life where you know God is at work and this is God's will and way for you, thus you're accomplishing God's work. There's times you just want to huddle up in a corner and cry, don't you? We don't ever find Joseph doing that. We never find Joseph actually crying foul as to what God brought into his life. It doesn't mean that there weren't times of struggle. 
In fact, we will read at the end of the service this morning of the names that Joseph gave to his sons. And in naming his sons, he at least gives us a glimpse into his thinking process. And that is this. He understood, he remembered and recognized the difficulties that he was asked to endure, but he never stopped doing God's work his whole life through. Through all the struggles, Joseph, as we noted in the very first message on his life, surrendered to God. And that surrender permeated his life. The gracious testimony becomes evident most vividly in this prison scene for the life of Joseph. This is rock bottom. This was the worst. Some of you might think, well, being thrown into a pit and betrayed by your brothers was the worst. No, that was just the beginning down. Here he is in prison. He doesn't know anybody. He can't rely on anybody. He can't depend on anybody. It's just him and God. This is as low as it's going to get. There was nobody else that cared about him. Not one. And sometimes we find ourselves in that very place in our own lives. And yes, that is also the work of God on us and in us. Trust me, he says. This was what being rejected and forgotten looked like in the life of Joseph. Yet Joseph still maintained a grace-filled ministry as a testimony to his faith in his God. His gracious testimony was first shown daily. It was evident everywhere you went. We could read passage after passage. 39 in verse 2, the Bible says this, The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Down in verse 5, it tells us once again that the, the, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake in the middle of that verse. If you go down to verse 23, which we read for our text today, the Bible says not just Potiphar, but the prison keeper. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, Why? Because the Lord was with him. He showed that God's grace was evident in his life every day of his life. Do you? Christian, you don't have it harder than Joseph does. And yet we often fail of the grace of God, though his grace never fails us. Joseph was an exemplary model of faith in God. His life was blessed by God because he showed an undying loyalty, faithfulness, trust in God who had revealed himself earlier in Joseph's life. If you are a believer this morning, you should show your Christian faith in every word and in every work you engage in. There is no room for slothfulness. There's no room for cutting corners. There's no room for laziness. There's no room for excuses. You should be engaged in the work of Almighty God. As we have studied Joseph, each message has carried from incident to incident, one to the next. Rather than isolating on each incident, what I'm trying to do in showing you the life of Joseph is that it wasn't lived in a vacuum. It's not like his life with his parents was different than his life in the prison. No, he had a continual testimony, whether it was in the great blessings in his father's house, in the pit, in enslavement, in Potiphar's house, in prison, or in Pharaoh's court in prominence. Every step of the way, Joseph, as a man, had a testimony that was demonstrating the grace of God every day. Do you? Or did he just show up on Sunday morning and say, hey, I hope Pastor notices me? 
I hope I notice you as well. I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm not meaning to say that. I'm simply saying your Tuesday afternoon personhood should be the same testimony as your Sunday morning 1045 testimony. Your testimony should be constant, just like Joseph's was constant. Joseph and the blessing of his father was the same in testimony as he was in the bottom of a pit. From slavery to imprisonment, from prison to prominence, Joseph in Egypt was consistent. We in the world must equally be so. Joseph was the embodiment of what Paul would later write. Though all the difficulties were heaped upon him, he daily demonstrated that his faith was in the grace of God that had been bestowed upon him. Here's what Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 12 and verses 17 through 21. Recompense to no man evil for evil. This could be a commentary on Joseph's life. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, now that's a great statement of truth, isn't it? If it be possible, it's possible through the grace of God. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, Paul writes, and Joseph lived, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. That's a gracious testimony. Lived daily. Joseph's testimony was daily shown to be filled with the grace of God. But letter B It wasn't just shown daily, it was shared deliberately. Now, we will not read all of chapter 40, but it is a wonderful chapter. As we're introduced to it, we find that it came to pass in the manner of things, or after these things, after Joseph himself found himself in the care of the keeper of the prison, that the chief butler and the chief baker make their way to that prison as well through a seemingly contentious environment in Pharaoh's court. And once we find ourselves there, we find a story of deliberate sharing of truth to others. Living your faith, my friend, is just the first part of a gracious testimony. We must also openly share or speak our faith. Joseph does this very thing in prison. Joseph does not have to say anything in chapter 40. It literally could start with, after these things, these two fellows showed up in the prison, and then it could have just ended there. But the work of God would not be complete. See, the work of God in your life is not just that you are a shining example of Christian testimony. If I went into your workplace, people in the workplace might say, yes, they are different because they love the Lord. But maybe most of the people might just say, they're different. Maybe they don't know you love the Lord. They just know you're different. We've all met a lot of different people in the workplace. (laughs) There's different people everywhere. Sometimes there's different people in our church. We've all met different people. Joseph was different, but he also was deliberate in that difference. He was He declared what was different about him. We find in the coming of time here that there needs to be a speaking. We read of Joseph that he chooses to engage the butler and the baker. The story is rich with how we can be good witnesses of the relationship and salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. The Bible says this. Look in verse number 6 of chapter 40, if you will. If you have your Bible, follow along there. 
The Bible says, And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were what? Sad. Can I give you a suggestion? That verse is absolutely appropriate for us today to be used within this age of grace, the church age that we live in. We go out into the world and we find people who are despairing, who are in depression, who are despondent because of their condition, who cannot make sense out of the world. And we see them just like Joseph saw these two. They were sad. Our work for God is not to make them glad, but to give them the truth that will make them free. Joseph had no reason beyond verse 6 to share his relationship that he had with God with either the baker or the butler. He had every reason to simply continue to work hard and prosper until God's blessing and prison keeper's approval were upon him. That's all he had to do. That's all he needed to do. But he understood from God there was more that he should do. And that's the work of God. Those who are interested in working of God in the affairs of men cannot sit idly by while people around them wonder about their future or worry about their fate. And that's what we find in the life of Joseph. Can I ask you, which family member are you thinking of right now that I need to say something to about Jesus Christ? I need to tell them what salvation is. I need to tell them the truth that will give them hope and help in this life. Because, my friend, that is the work of God. I'm not talking about the work of this church, though this church should always be engaged in that work. I'm saying the work that God has for you as a believer. What coworker? What friend? What neighbor? God's work rests on you and I sharing openly our relationship with God with those around us. This is what Joseph did. We are no different than him. Like him, we are locked in the prison house of this old cursed world. None of us are freed until the rapture or by way of the grave. It is only then by faith in Jesus Christ that we receive the glorified body and the existence that we long for. But yet in this life, we have eternal life and a relationship with God. And in this prison house of this sin-cursed world, we are to share our faith. That's our work. That's what God's called us to. It is not that the walls of the church are shut up to just those of us who have accidentally and graciously found salvation, it is we who have that hope, share it with the rest of the world. Joseph did God's work and shared the truth with the butler and the baker. May I suggest to you, you will verbally be required to share the truth with someone in your family, someone in your neighborhood, someone that your children play with, someone in your workplace, and I would say even this week you will find opportunity. Doing God's work means having a gracious testimony. That testimony includes living daily or showing daily what we have, but it also means giving deliberately. We have to share our faith. We have to tell people the reason of the hope that lieth in us. But it takes us, number two, to two genuine tests. In the life of Joseph, now in the prison house, he was going to move from just his own personal testimony that he could control to some tests that God's going to give to him. By the way, all of us have these tests. All of us, if we are going to do the work of God, will have to clear these two hurdles. We're going to have to answer these two tests. We're going to have to pass them, if you will. Genesis chapter 41, verses 1 through 24 in particular, we find the unfolding of the test. 
It moves from sharing the dreams and answering the dreams and revealing the truth in the prison house to now Pharaoh's court. Uh, it's become real, man. I mean, this is the, not the practice court. This is the playing field. This is what it's going to all be about. The work of God is going to come to a culmination in Genesis 41. The tests play out in the first 24 verses. God will place before us, by the way, tests. But everyone at certain points will face genuine, grand, perhaps true and even difficult tests. Those tests are given by God to stretch our faith. Think of the disciples. When he was asking them about providing the food for the 5,000 or the 4,000 in the two different instances, he was testing their faith. What do you have that I can work with? When they're on the boat, out on the sea, and it's story after story with the disciples, we see him testing their faith. And when he finishes, he says to them, oh, if you just had faith as a grain of a mustard seed. Oh, if you would just have more faith. Sometimes they would even come to him and say, Lord, grant us more faith. And he would say to them, oh, ye of little faith. These are the genuine tests. And Joseph had to endure them as well. In our life, these stretchings of our faith, these tests that we must endure, the work of God in us and on us may be either great opportunities. It may be something, Pastor, this is just an opportunity of life, and you do not even know how great an opportunity. I've had people say that to me, and in my heart, I pray, hope you pass this test. I can't pass it for you. I can't take it for you. But I hope you pass it because you're a good Christian servant of God. There's others that come to me and say, Pastor, this great, terrible thing has come. Instead of an opportunity, maybe God tests your faith through a great obstacle. Some difficulty that you have to endure. They're, those tests may be great opportunities and they may be great obstacles, but God will give to each of us wake-up calls of how real our faith is and our commitment to both Him and His work. Joseph had nothing to lose in sharing his God with the baker and the butler. I mean, after all, if he was wrong, what would happen? I mean, the prisoners would make fun of him, but really nothing serious was going to happen. In other words, that's just daily doing what is right. We might make mistakes and we can seek forgiveness and make right, but there are times in our life, there are crossroads in our life, there are genuine tests in our life where we have to exercise true faith in God and do his work. And so we find letter A, it is a test of faithfulness in the life of Joseph. Joseph proved God by consistently doing what he knew from God was right for him to do. In each distressing situation he found himself in, he made the choice to honor God and to complete or do God's work. It is the word of God, the will of God, and the way of God that produces in us the effective work of God. This is the progression. This is the walking with God that Joseph demonstrates. Paul said it to the church at Thessalonica this way in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you who will what? Also do it. Again, to the butler and the baker, I'll tell you what the dreams mean. And he told them. Now before Pharaoh, <coughs> I'll tell you what the dream means. <laughs> Do you think that's how Joseph entered that situation? No. 
faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. He understood this concept. He knew what Paul was saying. Listen to Joseph's faithful impact from the reactions of others to him leading up to this. Again, back in chapter 39, verses 2 through 6, the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had put into his hand. We'll stop there in verse 4 and skip down then to verse number 22. He leaves Potiphar's house, though we'll catch a caveat on that in just a second, and goes into the prison house. And here's what the Bible says in verse 22 that we read this morning. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with Joseph and that which Joseph he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Look in chapter 41 in verse number 40. We have Potiphar, we have the prison keeper, and now we have the Pharaoh. They're all saying the same thing. They're all giving the same testimony about Joseph and God's work in his life and the work that he did. Here's what Pharaoh says. Thou shalt be over my house. And according to thy word, not my word, Thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee! And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee, you, because of God's work, shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Three different influential Egyptians recognized God's work flowing through the life of Joseph. There was something different about this man. The part of the story that is always most amazing is the fact of Potiphar. I want to draw your attention to four verses that perhaps many times we overlook when we read this story. Did you know until Joseph goes into Pharaoh's court, he's never actually left Potiphar's house? You say, wait, 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 wait. Uh, You just said he got thrown into prison. Yeah, well, let's read it. Verse 1, the Bible says this in chapter 39. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, notice what his title is. What does it say? Okay, good job. What does it say? Captain of the guard. Good, there you go. Some of you don't like being... An Egyptian bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. Look in chapter 40 and verse 3. Now, they are in prison. He has been falsely accused and he's been kept in prison. And the keeper of the prison has him there. Notice what the Bible says. And he put them in ward. Who's he? Pharaoh here puts the butler and the baker in ward. In the house of the who? Okay, wait, wait, what? So some of you are just figuring out perhaps that this is actually in Potiphar's house or at least under Potiphar's control. It was within his purview as the captain of the guard to be not the keeper of the prison. That's a subservient role to him. But his house was in charge of, amongst many other things of the captain of the guard, the prison. Potiphar says, Joseph, I know they're lying about you, but I can't prove it. So I'm going to put you in the prison that's still in my house. Keep reading. Chapter 41 and verse 10. The 
telling of the tale here in 41 and verse 10 is of the butler who's been restored to his position. He's talking about his time in prison. And he even notes Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in ward in where? The captain of the guard's house. You keep reading in chapter 41 and verse 12. And he says, and there was with us a young man, an Hebrew. And what does he say of the Hebrew? Servant to the captain of the guard. It seems that the relationship and the impact upon Potiphar that Joseph had never goes away, even when he was falsely accused. Now, I think some of us would kind of hope that Potiphar would not be standing around going, well, I don't know what to do. Do the right thing, man. But he didn't. Joseph always did. Potiphar threw Joseph into his own prison. When Joseph was removed from Potiphar's house, he was not removed from Potiphar's location. There was now a new middleman in between them, the keeper of the prison. But Potiphar recognized the faithfulness of Joseph and sent him into his own prison where he allowed Joseph to do the faithful work that he had always done. Now away from his lustful, lying wife. Joseph was free to continue to do God's work. By the way, sometimes when we actually engage in doing God's work in God's way, according to God's will and God's word, we will have people make all kinds of false accusations against us. But the point is, don't be bothered by them. Live above them and move beyond them. That's what Joseph did. And God can bless you. Sometimes in doing God's work, the work of God is derailed because people just start arguing amongst themselves. Well, he can't say that about me. How dare she say that about me? I'll not stand for that. I'm not going to go to that church. I'm not going to do that work. Oh, be careful. Joseph didn't let that stuff bother him. He was more worried about doing God's work. The point is that there is a remarkable quality of faithful workmanship from the life of Joseph. Joseph understood what Paul would later write about his own work in ministry and what is true for you in whatever work and job or ministry God has given to you. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. Let, no, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, he says, it is required in stewards that a man be found what? Faithful. Consistent. In the work of God. Joseph passed the first test of genuine faithfulness. The second test that all of us must face is a test of fearlessness. Genesis chapter number 41, in verses 14 through 37, essentially Pharaoh unfolds the dream to Joseph, what he saw. The test is now upon him. This is the moment of truth, if you will. He's been faithful and passed that test, and it's provided for him an opportunity and an audience with the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh says, all right, man, what do you know? By the way, Christian, there's going to be times in your workplace, in your family relationships, in your neighborhoods, with your friends, with your acquaintances. There's going to come a point where your Christian faith runs different, counter to the culture of this world. And they're going to ask you the question, why are you different? That's the work of God. Joseph says, hey, in those moments his, in his life, don't fear what man will say to you. Be fearless and follow God. Beginning in verse number 25, we pick up the reading, And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream, Pharaoh is one. God, boy, that's a great phrase. If you are an underliner, put that. Underline just the word God. Where does Joseph begin in his fearless defense of the work of God? He starts with God. It's his work. He says, God had showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. It's an action. (laughs) 
He goes on to talk about the seven good kind and the seven thin and ill-favored kind. But then he says in verse 28, This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, and there shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land, and the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of the famine following, for it shall be very grievous. Listen, this is not a light thing he's saying to him. Hey, man, there's going to be a recession. It's going to be a great recession. It's coming. You think anybody in Washington wants to hear that right now? Whether we think it's true or not, whether we know it's true or not, economically it seems like it's inevitable. But the point is, is that nobody wants to walk into the seat of power and say, hey man, your kingdom is going to be wrecked in a few years. Nobody wants to do that. But Joseph said, well, this is what God says. I can't say anything otherwise. Verse 32, and for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, the law would later say a thing is established. And God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Who do you think that is? I don't think Joseph is saying, look out a man discreet and wise. and all." The, but Joseph is saying, hey, listen, you better find somebody that's smart. You better find somebody that's not afraid to tell you the truth. You better find somebody that's going to set the right course in the right direction. By the way, those are all attributes of doing God's work. Verse 34, let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up a fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years and let them gather all of the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities and the food shall be for store for the land against the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of all his servants. Listen, if somebody gives you the truth and you are willing to hear it, it is a good thing. That's what the Bible just tells us. To relay the message of God to his brothers back in Canaan should have been an easy thing for Joseph. To relay the message of God to the butler and baker carried no direct threat to Joseph. Again, if he was wrong, the worst he would get is a mocking. But to reveal God's message to Pharaoh carried with it both responsibility and risk. Can I suggest when you go and share your faith and the working of God in your life with a loved one, There is a risk that comes with that responsibility. They may mock you. They may dismiss you. They may say you're foolish for thinking that. But you can't stop revealing what the truth is to them. This was the moment that would open the door for God's initial dream to be fulfilled in the life of Joseph. This very moment in his life was the open opportunity for Joseph to save his family. Joseph didn't know it at the time, but this was that very moment. You do not know which is the pivotal moment of sharing faith with someone or demonstrating your love for Jesus Christ to someone. You do not know when there is that moment of fearlessness that is needed, so be fearless. And be faithful. Joseph had a gracious testimony. Joseph passed the two genuine tests. Finally, we find that in God's work, there are two great testaments. The two greatest testaments that can be made. A testament is something that serves as a sign or an evidence of a specified fact, an event, or a quality. The testament of Joseph's life is that God and his workings were of utmost importance. What God is doing, I'm going to be doing. I want to be a part of it. 
The word of God, the will of God, and the way of God had always been his focus so that he might do the work of God. That's how he walked with God. So that original revelation of his brothers giving obeisance to him was still in the forefront of his mind, not because he wanted to be a Lord over them, but he realized that his whole life's work was to be a savior, to be a rescuer, to be one that provided. May I suggest to you, believer, this morning, that is your calling. You are the lights that shine in darkness. Joseph's work of God is no different than your work that God has for you. So we find two, th- two testaments, I should say, about Joseph doing God's work. First, the first testament is others' declarations. What do others say about us? Now, we sung this morning, we don't worry about the praise of men, or at least was played in Be Thou My Vision. And that is true. I don't care what people say. When you all walk out of church on a Sunday morning, many of you will say to me, Pastor, that was a great message. I appreciate it. It's kind. I say that often. It's very gracious and kind of you. But what is my normal response to you? Jessica wrote it, right? That's my normal response. And some of you don't know if I'm being serious or not, if Jessica wrote it or not. She knows if she wrote it or not. And I'm not going to tell you if she wrote it or not. The point is, is that I don't want the praise. And if you want to praise her, praise her because I praise her all the time. But in truth, all I care that you leave here thinking is we've got a great God. Today, I want you to leave thinking I'm ready to do his work wherever I go. That's all we should care about. Proverbs 27 and verse 2 says this, Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. Joseph was the living proof of this proverb. Listen to the testimony of the butler again back in chapter 41 and verse 13 of Genesis. The Bible says, And it came to pass, as he interpreted to us, so it was. But notice the last half of this verse. It is fantastic. He is saying this to Pharaoh, and he says to Pharaoh, Me, the butler says, he restored to mine office. Can you imagine what Pharaoh thought in that moment? What are you talking about? I restored you to your office. And the butler's like, no, you didn't. I was in prison. You didn't even remember me. But he said in three days you'll be restored. The other guy, three days and your head's going to fall off. What he said to me doing God's work, that made it so. Wow. Wow. Can I tell you that what you tell people that is true, not your opinion, what you tell people that is true from this book can change their life forever. That's what this man is testifying to. His testament is, look, Joseph did his work. Can I ask this question? Would that have happened had Joseph not chosen to reveal the truth? Probably, but this man would not have known the God of heaven. Joseph doing his work reveals to the butler and to Pharaoh who the God of heaven is. Man, what a truth. Look down in chapter 41 and verse number 38. Now we hear the declaration not just of a butler who was in prison, but of Pharaoh who's running the world. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, in other words, he turns and looked. Again, remember, the captain of the guard, Potiphar, is likely standing in this group. He turns and he kind of opens his hands, you get the sense. He kind of pivots and explains, and he says very matter-of-factly, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? It's a rhetorical question because he wasn't asking them to go look. He said, This is the only guy I know of. Verse 39, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God, do you think Pharaoh had ever mentioned the monotheistic, singular God of heaven ever had passed his lips before this moment? No. 
No. But because Joseph was engaged in doing God's work, because he cared about what God was up to and wanted to be doing it and being a part of it, that now he's made impact not on Potter, just Potiphar, not just on the prison keepers, not just on the prisoners, but on the king himself, Pharaoh himself. You want to change the world? Do God's work. That's the message. Let other men praise you. Believers, don't go around telling everyone how great your work is. Just go about doing great work for God, period. Be consistent. We say it around here, especially in the church staff, just be excellent. We don't ever strive for perfection. We're pursuing perfection. But I don't ever say to Zach, hey, man, I want a music ceremony or a music service that is perfect. Then he could probably look at me and I want a message that is perfect. Don't ever misspeak one word. We don't do that. We strive for excellence. That's the goal. That's what God's work is about. If you go out this week and decide, I'm going to be the best Christian that I can possibly be within the work of God, not to get an attaboy or a pat on the back, but because that's what I've been called to do, you will have the praise of other men, though you don't seek it. They will recognize the difference, and they'll ask about the difference. Finally, the second testament is our own decisions. In chapter 41, verses 51 and 52, Joseph names his boys. Here's what the Bible says. And Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for God said, For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph could have named his boys anything. But he chose two names. By the way, Joseph, again, is a type of Christ. He marries uh, the, the Potiphera, the priest of On. That is the god Ra, is who they're talking about, Potiphera. He marries the daughter Asenath. She is a picture of the Gentile church, those of us not Jews who are wed to Christ. And so there's a perfect type in a picture. But he couldn't name his kids anything. He chose Manasseh and Ephraim. Do you know Why? Because they speak of forgiveness and fruitfulness. You know, my parents could have chose any name for me. They picked Kyle. It's a debatable name. Some say it means God's gift from the Irish. While others say in the English it means one who is handsome. That might be the more accurate one. But you know, with Joseph, we know for sure that his... Naming of his children were specific. It was intentional. It was purposeful. Essentially, he says this in Manasseh, God has enabled me to forget my troubles. Only God can work that way. If you're a bitter Christian this morning because of difficulties that you've had to endure, forgive and forget. Well, I can't forget. Choose to forget. That's what Joseph is telling you here. Through his own decision, he gives testament that he was following the God of heaven. He said, I'm going to choose to forget all the evil that has been done to me. Oh, but you can't, Pastor. I mean, do you know what they've said about this place? Do you know what they said about me? Do you know what they've said about you? Forgive and forget. I'm going to forgive all of my trouble. Just forget about it. And you can only do that through God's enabling work. Ephraim means God enlarges my blessings. Even in spite of my trouble or in face of my troubles. Man, what a testament. So in closing, how do you know, how do you do God's work? 
Do you even recognize the work that God has for you? Maybe that's where you should start. That work includes ministry opportunities through the church. That is true. But your work for God is more than just serving in the church. It's both showing and sharing Christ through a gracious testimony out in the world. God's work for you includes you faithfully and fearlessly passing God's genuine tests for your life. And finally, your work for God has two obvious or manifest testaments, and they are great, may I say. That is that others recognize your differences and that they're biblical and in line with God because they can see your own decision-making process. They can see who you are. So this morning, are you just living? Or are you surrendered to living for God and accomplishing His work? I close where I began with the words of Jesus in John 9 and verse 4. I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. Father, help us, I pray, as we close our thoughts.